0: I'm back here. Can you all see me? I'm in camo. So I'm trying to be real stealth. You know, sneak up on you. You can see me, for real? Man, I, th- I thought the camo would, like, make me invisible. It's because it's, it's not church camo. Okay. Yeah, no forest around here. Hey, we're going to light our candles this morning, okay? The center candle, what's the center candle? Christ candle, very good. Let's see if we can light this. There we go. And then uh, the first candle we lit, the very first week is the peace candle, yes. And then the next candle we, we lit last week is the... Hope candle. Good. And today's candle? Love. All right. You'll find that next week. Come back next week and we'll light the last candle. Figure out what that is. Hey, uh, can I sit down here with you guys? All right. Watch out. Man, this is great. I'm nice and cozy and warm. I know. Hey, um, when I wear this stuff, it says something about me. And and I'm going to tell you what it says because a lot of people out there are thinking things about what it says right now and it's not right. When I wear this stuff, it says that I love... To hunt. I wear this because I love to hunt. Yeah. My dad likes Crazy. hunting. Your dad likes hunting? Wow. Hey, where's Ella? Where where are you, Ella? You down here? Can you help me today? Can you be my helper? Can you hold this microphone for just a Because i 'Cause I'm gonna take this off. It's really hot. Okay? And so while I take this off, you're gonna have this microphone. And if you want to tell them about Advent, you just feel right you know, feel good to go right ahead and do that, okay? Here's all of the things that I knows. knew. Good, okay. Hey. Okay, yeah. What does this tell you that I love? Fishing! I love fishing, Yeah. I do. Hey, did you know that, that I do a lot of stuff in my life that demonstrates the things I love and the people I love? Guess where I was yesterday? Almost. I was out shopping. I'm telling you, it was rough. And let me tell you, I was not out shopping because I love to shop. I was out shopping because I was out shopping because I love my wife. That's the only reason I would go shopping. (laughs) Promise you. Now, I do some things that demonstrate that I love my kids. I love my kids. And I do some things. Yesterday, my son needed a library book. And so I went to the library for him and got the best book I thought that would be for him. And, And he was so thankful for that. And I was just showing him how much I loved him. It was a very special book. You can ask him about that. Yeah, he'll tell you all about it. He's that guy right over there, ducked down in the pew. That's him right there. Yeah. Yeah. Here, wave, Weston. There he is. That's him right there. You can talk to him all about that after church. That would be great. Hey, I also love our church. Did you know that? I love our church. And I do things to demonstrate my love for our church like this. I've gone way and above what I'm comfortable with today today and to pretty much every week with children's sermon. And it's because I love our church. I do all kinds of things in my life that demonstrate that I love people and I love doing certain things. Now listen to this. God has done things all throughout history to show you that He loves you. Did you know that? God created the entire earth. Everything that we see on the earth, He created for us. Did you know that God created everything for us to enjoy? He created everything you have. He gave you the life that you now enjoy. God created so many things, done so many things throughout history to show that he loves you. And the greatest thing that God has ever done to show that he loves you is Advent. How about let's wait until I'm done and then you can tell me. Is that good? All right. Awesome. God sent Jesus Christ to a manger because He loves you. But the greatest demonstration of God's love was not that Jesus Christ was sent to a manger, but that Jesus Christ was sent to a cross. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated His own love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated that He loves you by sending Jesus Christ to die for you that you might have forgiveness of your sins. And what I'm praying for you this Advent season is that you will make decisions in your life every single day to respond to how much God loves you by loving Him. The greatest way you can respond to God's declaration of love for you is by loving Him with all your heart. And I, I pray that this Advent season, as a family, you'll make decisions to love God with all your heart because He first loved you. When Paul was on his second missionary journey, he traveled to a town called Thessalonica. While he was in Thessalonica, over the course of three weeks, he was sharing Christ with those in that community, namely uh, at the synagogue on the Sabbath day. There were many Jews and God-fearing Greeks who believed in what Paul was saying. You see, Jesus Christ had changed Paul's life. And Paul loved to share about the love of God expressed in Christ. Paul had been sharing about that. And then there were some Jews in Thessalonica who did not like what Paul was saying. And so they created an uprising against Paul. And things got really crazy in Thessalonica such that Paul had to escape that town. And he traveled to another town called Berea. And in Berea he began to do the same thing. Share about Christ. Because he loved to share about Jesus Christ. And the Bereans said in Scripture that they would take the Old Testament and study their Old Testament to verify the things Paul was saying. And they were believing in Christ. Well, the Thessalonites The Thessalonians got word of what was happening in Berea, and those guys who were antagonistic traveled over to Berea and caused trouble for Paul in Berea. And because there were trouble there, Paul then moved on to Athens. When Paul came into Athens, he came into a city that was completely full of idolatry. The idolatry that was so pervasive in that place provoked Paul's heart and made him in his spirit want to share Christ with that city. They were so lost and so distracted by all these various pagan ways of worship that Paul was burning inside to proclaim the gospel. And so he would go to the synagogue and he would proclaim the gospel. He would go into the marketplace and every single day he was there, he would walk into the marketplace and begin to share the gospel truth with anyone who would listen as they were coming to the marketplace to buy their wares. And so he would just be sharing the gospel. These philosophers in Athens came to Paul and invited him to come to the meeting of the Oropagus, the governing council of Athens. They wanted to hear this message that Paul was communicating in the marketplace every single day in this godless city of Athens. And Paul was more than willing to comply because he loved to share the gospel. So let's pick up that story right there, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and we'll start reading in verse 22. Acts 17.22 So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore what you worship in ignorance, This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also His children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, and others said, "We shall hear you again concerning this." So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also are Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now, notice in this passage in Acts 17 that Paul understands Athens; he knows that it is a spiritually oriented place. The problem they are oriented spiritually in the wrong direction. So he walks into the Oropagus and he sees this altar that has been built with the inscription to a God we don't know. And he immediately understands when he sees this, I've got a bridge I can build to these people and share the gospel. And Paul masterfully builds this bridge and says, hey, I see what you've done. You're very religious. You're making attempts to worship this God that you do not know Well, I'm going to tell you about the God you don't know because I know Him. And I'm going to proclaim to you the good news about this God you're seeking to worship in your ignorance. And he builds this bridge in a way that the people in the Europagus are like, hey, we want to hear what you have to say. And it's incredible how he does this and creates an opportunity to do what he loves to do. Share the gift of the gospel. And so he begins to share the gospel with him. And I just want to walk through what he says to these Athenians, just phrase by phrase, verse by verse. Let's pick it up in verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Here's what Paul says in that first section. He says, God has been so in control of everything that's going on in all of history since before time began, since creation, That we are actually living according to His plans. In other words, you are not fitting this God into your plans. You actually fit into His plan. He's the one that's created you and everything you have. There's nothing that you've done or accomplished or been a part of that is independent of God's control of everything. And he wanted the Athenians to recognize that it wasn't, that their plans involved Him, it's that His plans involved them. And His plan, notice what it is. Verse 27, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own prophets have said, for we are also His children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or thought of man. Paul then says, look, what God has done in placing you where you live when you live, unfolding the plans that He has constructed as the one who is creator of all, controller of all, sustainer of all. He is in control of everything. You're operating in His plan. And His plan is that where you live and when you live, you might respond to all that He has done in unfolding His plans to your point in history that you might respond to that by seeking after Him. Now Paul recognizes that there is this this difficulty associated with seeking after the God who is unfolding his plans. And he couches it in this term that you might grope for him. It's a description of a blind person looking for something. And he says, it may be that right now you're blinded, but God has still declared Himself in such a way that you can still grope after Him. He wants you in whatever capacity you can to seek after Him, and everything He's done in all of history has been to accomplish you, where you live and when you live, seeking after the God who's in control of everything. This altar that you've made to the unknown God is actually the God who has constructed all of your life and wants you to find Him and know Him. He doesn't want to remain unknowable to you. He wants you to know Him. And So God's plan in unfolding all of creation is so that all people everywhere, in every place and every time, might respond to the things that God has done demonstrating who He is by seeking after Him and finding Him and coming to know Him. Paul says to them, God is not fashioned by wood and stone. This is a God that's not coming out of your creativity. Creativity. This is not a God that you've imagined and then fashioned. Because if God was like that, you couldn't know Him. He'd be an inanimate object of your own creation. He said, God is not like that. Just look at yourself. You're not like that. And this is the God that created all of you. And Paul emphasizes to the Athenians, God is a God who is personal and knowable you've actually been created in His image so that you might seek after Him, find Him, and know Him. The problem is that we've not cooperated with God's plan. And Paul describes that. Look in verse verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, Paul describes how mankind has consistently gone to its own plan instead of submitting to the plan of God. And he terms it as times of ignorance. Now think about what Paul is looking around and seeing. He just said, you've got this altar to an unknown God, and what you are ignorant of, what you do not know, I'm going to tell you. And so Paul says... All of what you've been doing is because you don't know what God has done. And all of this worship of pagan gods and all of this rebellion against God is a stepping away from His plan into your own plan. And that simply is not how it works because God is the one who's in control of everything. And He's actually revealing His plan throughout history. And notice what Paul says in verse 30. He says, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. So Paul is saying, and now God has brought everything to a point in history where He is making a declaration to the world that they ought to leave the plan they've been living, and they ought to get into the plan of God that He's been unveiling throughout history, a plan that everyone might know Him, seek after Him, and find Him. And so Paul calls this time that he's referring to as a declaration to all people that they would repent. This was a plan that God has been carrying out since really before creation. And I want to make sure that you completely understand that plan. So I'm just going to quickly walk through that and just give you a broad brush of God's plan through Scripture. When God created the world, and he created that one man from whom all nations would come, and through whom all nations would eventually find their place and their time for their habitation, fitting into God's plan that they might seek after him. From that one man, he created. God created Adam, and he created Eve, and the reason that he created them is to enjoy the rest of his creation in such a way that it brings glory to the Creator. He created Adam and Eve to know the Creator and to enjoy His creation so that the Creator is glorified. You see, Adam and Eve were the pinnacle of God's creation. When He created Adam and Eve, He said, this is good, very good, and all of this is for you to oversee and subdue and honor Me in overseeing that as I oversee you. And that's how God created it, that We would know Him. That we would then fill the earth and subdue it, living where we live, when we live, in a continual relationship with Him, glorifying Him by enjoying the creation He made for us in perfection to bring glory to Him. But as you know, Adam and Eve fell into sin. They decided that God's plan wasn't the plan they wanted to live by. And because of that, everything changed for the way mankind would experience the plan of God. But the plan of God did not change. God still had a plan for his people to enjoy what he made for them in a relationship with him so that he might be glorified as the creator and sustainer of all, the rescuer, the savior. God still had a plan. The experience of that plan has dramatically changed now. God begins to do is he begins to beckon and call. Mankind to honor and worship Him. And mankind consistently rebels against Him. You see through the first 11 chapters of Genesis where God is dealing with all of mankind to bring them to find Him and they consistently adopt another plan. And then God starts over with Noah. A man who says, I want to seek after and find God. He starts with Noah and then continually mankind begins to depart from the plan of God again. And then God stops dealing with all of mankind as a group and begins to deal with one man. He calls Abraham. And He says, Abraham, I want to make from you a great nation. He started with Adam to create the nations of the world that the nations of the world might seek after God. They chose their own plan. So God chose Abraham. says, I want to make from you a great nation. And what I want to do with this nation is I want to bless this nation so incredibly well that they become a blessing to every other nation, every other family of the world. So God says, hey, my plan is still in place and I'm still drawing my people, drawing the people of the earth, all of creation, back into reconciliation with me so that my purposes might be accomplished, that the people that I've created might enjoy what I've made for them in relationship with me, bringing me glory. God's bringing it back that direction through Abraham. We know the people of God did not respond to the plan of God. They also departed from God's plan, even though God sent prophet after prophet to communicate to them, God is unfolding His plan and there's one that's coming, that's a Messiah that's going to make all things right. It's going to take care of the brokenness of what you've done in, contra- in contradiction to my plan. That the prophets did not have a voice that the people were responding to because the people continued to adopt their own plan at the price of God's plan. And so then Israel went dark and for 400 years there was no voice of God in Israel. 400 years of silence. But it wasn't that God was not at work. You see, God was unfolding His plan constructing everything to reveal His plan. Israel, by the end of that 400 years, was ready to hear the voice of the Lord. And when John the Baptist began to proclaim that he is the messenger that is preparing the way of the Lord, repent because the Kingdom of God is at hand, the people were ready to hear because they have been in about 70 years of oppression under the Roman government. And they are ready for the imp- oppression to end. They are ready for the Kingdom of God to come. And they were all ears to what was being said to them. They were ready to see God's kingdom come. And though they had massive disagreements on how the kingdom would come and what the kingdom would be like, they were wanting the kingdom to come. In addition to that, the development historically in the Greek world had had created or, or developed a language, Koine Greek, was a common language, the trade language of the day, and it was well used throughout the empire of the Romans for all the trade, no matter where you were from or what your original language was. In addition to that, the Romans had conquered much of the known world and had created peace. So there was no, there were no major wars. And in addition to that, they built roads going to and from Rome all over the empire. So you've got this universal language that's spread throughout the Roman Empire. You've got roads going to and from Rome all over the place. And you've got peace. No hindrance to the spread of the Gospel. And what God was doing was unfolding the occurrences of history to a point in time that Galatians chapter 4, Paul says is the fullness of time. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God was unfolding all the events of history to the fullness of time so that He might send Jesus Christ to a manger. So that Jesus Christ would grow up and live perfectly. So that Jesus Christ would proclaim the kingdom has come. So that Jesus Christ would be rejected by His people and crucified by the Gentiles so that Jesus Christ would rise again from the dead, overcoming sin and death, the very hindrance that was keeping us from being a part of God's plan. And God rose again from the dead and He ascended to be at the right hand of the Father where He is waiting to return again. And what God did is He revealed that His plan has been to send a Savior And so God Himself became flesh and He came and He dwelt among us. And the plan that was birthed in God's heart to redeem His creation was unfolded in the person of Christ. And now God has proclaimed that everyone, everywhere, should repent. Should leave the plan of their lives behind. And should Adopt and submit to the plan of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God has displayed His love, the greatest of all gifts, through the person of Jesus Christ. And a display of love of that magnitude necessitates a response. And that's where Paul brings his conversation to the Athenians. Look in verse 30 and 31 again. He says, now, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. You should come back to the God who is in control, who's made you, who has a plan for you. You should trust Him. And then he says, because, here's why you need to make a decision to follow God. Because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. The reason why it's imperative that we see what God is doing in all of creation and has been revealed namely in the person of Jesus Christ is because there is a day, a fixed day, when Jesus Christ will return again. As much as we are celebrating the coming of Christ at Christmas, the more important issue at stake is that Jesus Christ is returning. He's coming back. There is a day fixed where Jesus Christ will return, and He is coming to judge in righteousness. And because of that, a response to His gift of love is vital. Notice how the Athenians responded. Verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with him. So some of the Athenians, they made a mockery of Paul's message of love in Jesus Christ. He just made fun of it. Some of the Athenians said, we'd like to hear more about this. But some of them believed in Jesus Christ. Now we're all celebrating Christmas. At some level, we are all participating in the celebration of Christmas. The question you've got to answer is how you responding to the message of God's love represented in what you're celebrating? Is your life and the things you do, the demonstration of what you love, is that making a mockery of the gift of God's love? Is how you're living your life just making fun of what God has said? Or are you at that stage where you are living your life, demonstrating your response to God, showing whether or not you love Him, and it looks more like, you know, I'm really interested in knowing more about you, but I'm not yet interested in you being the one that I serve. What's what's your life showing? are you at the place where the demonstration of your love for God is faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you responded to God's love because of His love by loving Him and following Him with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? The gift of love has been given and the promised return of Jesus Christ as judge is going to happen. And only one group of people is ready for His return. The only ones that will be ready for Jesus Christ to return as judge are those who have decided to believe in Jesus Christ. You do not want to miss being ready for that day. Whether it's through our death or Jesus Christ's return, every one of us will face Jesus Christ as judge. He will judge in righteousness, which means that if we've never trusted in Christ, we will be objects of the wrath of God. But if we trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have become objects of His love forever. The gift of love has been extended. How are you responding? What kind of response are you showing? You remember the story about the shepherds that was read earlier in the service? You know, shepherds tending their sheep on the hillside? Angel shows up. The Savior's been born in Bethlehem, the city of David. The shepherds make their way into Bethlehem. They find Jesus Christ. They find the Savior. You know what they do once they find Jesus Christ? They leave and they go tell others what they were told and what they found. We were told about the gift of the Savior. We received that gift. And then they went and told others about what they had experienced. When you receive the gift of God's love and you respond to that by loving Christ, you cannot help but share the gift of love. And you think about what's happening this Christmas season. It affords us an amazing opportunity to share the gift of love. Everywhere in this community, all up and down your block, houses are filled with attempts to celebrate Christmas. I suspect that the large majority of houses in your neighborhood have either Christmas tree, Christmas lights... Some kind of decorations, they're getting Christmas cards, they're sending Christmas cards. In some level, everybody around you, for the most part, is celebrating Christmas. It's like Abilene is filled with little altars to what for many is a God they do not yet know. And what an opportunity this season provides us to say to the people around us, what you are worshiping in ignorance. I want to proclaim to you the one that you're celebrating that's come in a manger. I want you to be able to answer a more important question. Are you ready for Jesus Christ to return as judge? What an opportunity we have. It would have been a real shame if those shepherds had heard that proclamation, that gift, and decided for whatever reason, they're not going to go check it out. Got busy with the sheep, got distracted, got consumed with their own affairs, really doubted whether or not it would really be true, be worth their effort, so what? Whatever. It would have been a shame if they had never gone to see Jesus Christ and know the Savior. It would be been a shame if, if God had unfolded All the things in their lives so that they might seek after God and find Him, only to never seek after Him. The tragedy would have been that Jesus Christ still would have been born in the manger. They just would have missed it. We cannot afford to miss Jesus Christ. And we cannot afford to let others miss Him. That's what Advent's all about. The gift of God's love and sharing the gift of God's love. May we be found faithful.